Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Metadata. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 189 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we reflected on our experiences from ABA Tech Show 2017, recent legislation, some recent learnings about public Wi-Fi dangers, and concerns about travel in other countries have all brought the issue of privacy of our internet usage into focus in the last week or so. Very recently, we're seeing recommendations all over the place saying that we should start using virtual private networks or VPNs as a matter of general practice from a whole bunch of different security and privacy experts. So I guess, Tom, it's to VPN or not to VPN, that is the question. What's all on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we will indeed be talking about privacy and how you can protect yourself using VPNs, among other things. In our second segment, we've got an audio question from one of our listeners about courtroom technology. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first, let's talk about virtual private networks, or as Dennis said, VPNs. A couple of weeks ago, Congress voted and the president signed legislation that rolled back some requirements on internet service providers to ask permission before selling consumers personal information. In response to that, we've been seeing lots of experts, technology, privacy, and otherwise, recommend that we all set up VPNs to protect our personal information when we're on the internet. In this episode, we kind of wanted to dig down into that a bit more, look at the options, and make some recommendations of our own. So uh, to get us started, Dennis, uh, do you want to first explain what a VPN is. Yeah, I think this is, VPNs to me are interesting because I think this is one of these areas of technology where just getting the concept is enough. I don't think that the average person needs to, you know, drill way down into protocols and things like that. So for me, a VPN has always meant a, a point-to-point tunnel um, that's private that allows you to connect over the public internet in a private way as if you're in a, a private network. And you can dress it up in a lot of different ways, but I, it's, it's always been referred to me as a tunnel. And within that, you have protection in a lot of ways. And so for most people will be familiar with the VPN is if you work from home. And so you, what you're going to have is a VPN um, that allows you this sort of point-to-point access to your private network and you sort of extend the private network out to you on the internet and other people can't see it or they can't, and I use see in a very loose sense there, but they're not going to be able to, to know what's going on with the communication between you and the point that you're connecting to. So that's sort of the conceptual definition. There are some different protocols, but I think if you understand it is that sort of private tunnel through the internet uh, that that's going to protect the information that you're sharing and in some cases your identity and uh, location and other things like that as well. 
Right. And I think VPNs have been around for a while. I mean, they've been around for a long time. And big law firms and corporations have been using them to a certain extent for, for some time now. They are they are the secure way for people, like you said, who are working at home or who are traveling to access information behind the company firewall without compromising that information. So if you're working for a big law firm or a company, you likely already have a VPN that you need to use. You're required to use it for access to company information. And those are likely kind of dedicated enterprise VPN tools. We're probably not going to talk as much about those today as we are about the the VPNs that are sort of open to anybody. They're the individual VPNs that anybody can purchase on the internet and begin using immediately um, for their own practice or just individually if you want to keep it individually. So we're going to be talking about both of those. So Tom, I think that VPNs sort of fall into their own unique category. And and so in the recommendations we see these days, it's sort of VPNs sort of fall more on the privacy side than on the pure security side of things. But there is some overlap. So I don't know, Tom, do you want to talk a little bit about maybe the differences between secure socket layer or SSL and, and VPNs to give people just just a little sense of where VPNs fit into the whole big picture? Um, Dennis, as I read the script here, this has you handling that particular question. So I'm going to turn it right around back to you. Hmm. Okay. So I sort of see this difference as when you do SSL, think of that you're doing online banking or something like that. So that's when you see the little, little lock or the HTTPS in your browser. And so there's encryption, there's security. The VPN is more general than that. So you can use the VPN, uh, say, on different devices, on all your different devices you can put on a router. And you're kind of creating this, as I said, this private tunnel. So it, it sort of, to me, falls a bit more on the the privacy side. And so it's going to protect the data that's being transferred. It's typically going to protect your IP address from other people other than the, the person operating the, the VPN network. And it's going to generally hide or mask your geolocation data. So it's, its focus is slightly different than the, the traditional security that you expect with SSL or when you're doing an online banking or other secured password type of system. Uh, so Tom, you've, you've ducked the security question. So I see the script now tells me that you're going to be digging into the current uh, privacy concerns and the changes that have really brought VPNs into focus. Well, why, yes, I am. But I will come back and say that I agree that that VPNs and the context in which we're going to be talking about them have a privacy bent. But I'll also argue that a VPN is still going to have good application in the security area uh, because it prevents people from essentially hacking into your computer. I, I remember the story of the USA Today reporter who was on the plane writing a story and they landed and was getting ready to get off the plane when somebody behind him said, hey, I hacked into your computer and I followed along everything that you said in that research. A VPN VPN obviously would have stopped all of that. Now, there's both privacy and security elements to that. But in terms of what really has brought this up, it's got more of a security focus. And to be 
let's be real clear, this is not a new problem. Your internet service provider has been collecting information on you since you started using the service. I mean, that's something that they just do. Uh, if you go on and look at your terms of service, most all internet service providers are going to state that they're going to take anonymized information and use that information to improve their services, sometimes provide that to their outside customers for various reasons. But this is really not anything tremendously new. Uh, but the Federal Communications Commission in the previous administration was proposing a rule that would require your ISP to get your permission before they sold your personal information to advertisers or to other outside organizations. And this rule never actually went into effect. It was a proposed rule. It never went into effect. So this wasn't something that was actually happening. I think this naturally turns to questions about whether ISPs are utilities providing a service or whether they're also a business for profit. But that, of course, is not the subject of this podcast. The ISPs will say that they have no intention of selling your private information. But that's probably really not the point either, because advertisers these days can always take that anonymized information they've always had access to. And you've heard in previous podcasts that we've had, there's some pretty powerful AI and other analytic tools where they can make some pretty accurate predictions about who you are, what you like, what products you might want to buy, and can really start to, to have that targeted information even when the information is anonymized. So really, I think no matter what the ISPs are going to do with your information, whether it's anonymized, whether it's not, it's probably a good idea to protect that information. And as the subject of this podcast is going to be, uh, one way to do that is with a VPN. And so how is the, the VPN going to help you? And so I sort of think is, is it sort of shifts where the data collection is from your ISP to the VPN provider. So that may make you say, um, I'm not sure how I feel about that because if, if a Verizon, ATT, the others are all saying they're not going to sell my data, maybe I don't have that big a concern. And what do I know about the VPN companies. And so it kind of comes down to that. So the VPN companies are basically as part of what they do, they are saying they're not doing logging, they're not doing of other things like that of collecting data or keeping data and you're sort of putting your trust in them and the fact that many of them are outside the US is giving you a, a different level of protection. So there's going to be a weighing or balancing that you need to do as you do the research on these things, but there is that sort of shifting of who has information about what's going on and then if the VPN company is not collecting that then basically your ISP and nobody else in the perfect world is going to know where you're accessing the internet from what data you're transferring is encrypted it's private it's it's all those sorts of things and so you approach anonymity in your use of the internet which can be valuable in a lot of different ways, but especially if you're nervous about people tracking you uh, has become really important lately. I agree. I think that when it comes to looking at VPNs, there are a couple of things you want to look for. Actually, the first concern 
is that apparently, because every security expert out there has recommended you go out and get a VPN, this has led to, as one might expect, an explosion in the number of fake VPN services that are popping up in response. And uh, they're offering these VPN services, and it turns out that they are not real, and they're probably causing a whole lot of damage to the real VPN industry. Um, So that's really your first due diligence. Is this a real VPN company? or not. And it's a shame that that is some, a question you have to ask yourself. But I, I think, unfortunately, um, these days uh, with fake stuff popping up, um, it is a reality. Uh, in my opinion, though, the next biggest question is what you describe, which is, are you comfortable with your VPN provider being the person who has more access to your information than your ISP is, which is why I think using a free VPN it could potentially raise some alarms. Obviously, if the product is free, then you're the product. As they say, you have to really watch because there are a lot of free VPNs out there and you have to wonder what's their business model if they're not taking your information and doing something with it. Now, as Dennis says, no matter whether they're free, whether they're low cost, whether they're higher cost, a good VPN service needs to have a strict no-logging policy. They promise not to collect or log your internet activity. Uh, I think the age of the company is important. Um, newer companies, especially the ones that are fake, are going to require a greater degree of trust from you. Obviously, a VPN needs to use some level of encryption. Uh, I would be amazed that there are VPNs that don't provide encryption, um, but that needs to be something that you look at when you have your due diligence about looking at a VPN. We could get in the weeds a little bit, and talk about IPv4, Internet Protocol version 4, and Internet Protocol version 6 leakage. VPNs are slowly making their way to supporting this IPv6 protocol, uh, which is the next wave of domain names out there to kind of save the... We were running out of domain names in the protocol version 4. And again, uh, we could get way deep into the weeds there, but this is something also that VPNs are starting to take a look at, and you want to make sure that uh, you're able to access all the right sites using the VPN, and that's that's one of the, the things you want to take a look at as well. I think, Tom, you're right. There are tons of choices, and, and people will realize that through their, their work oftentimes, especially in larger organizations, there is going to be a VPN, and that's your remote access. Um, so in a way, if you connect by Citrix, you're essentially in a VPN situation. Um, and then it just runs the range of, of different things. But think of a VPN as a service, really, that you're buying. There are free ones. Uh, some people say if you want to go the sort of least expensive and easiest way, you use the Opera browser, uh, which has VPN functionality built into it. But I sort of think that uh, I come down to actually if you're, if you're moving into this area, like why not find a really good one? that's reasonably priced. It's not like it's going to be a lot of money. We'll talk about the the cost. But there are a lot of choices. You need to do your homework. I guess, Tom, I think you've run, yourself have run into some of the benefits of VPNs in your travel. But there definitely is the privacy thing, the hiding the location or, you know, appearing as if you're accessing a service from another country. So VPN may give you choices to show that you're accessing things from completely different countries and you can choose which country you want to say you're coming from. And, and there are some other benefits as well. So Tom, I know that when you've traveled internationally, some of the benefits of the VPN became really apparent to you. 
Well, that's the main benefit of traveling is the ability to make sure that you can access what you need to. And sometimes I'm getting ready to head to China on vacation in a couple of weeks here. And you probably have heard, at least at some form or fashion, of the Great Firewall of China. Um, they've actually outlawed uh, VPN use in general, or actually a VPN companies from operating within China. I don't think that is outlawing people from using VPN, and I certainly plan to use one, I'm telling you now, Chinese government, when I go there, because I want to be able to, uh, I want to be able to access some of the stuff back home. And to do that, my computer or my iPad needs to appear as if it's coming from someplace outside China, or else I'm not not going to get to that information. Now, the flip side to that is really kind of an interesting one. I noticed this uh, uh, a while back when I turned VPN on uh, my iPad and I was trying to access my password manager. And your password manager is really tied to your location. Um, if it senses that you're trying to access your passwords from a different location, it's going to make the immediate assumption that you're a hacker and that it's someone else trying to improperly access those passwords. And so you've got to jump through a lot of hoops to say, oh no, I'm really actually the right person. I'm just accessing it through a VPN in a different way. But um, those are some of the other drawbacks. So, you know, for example, um, some of the entertainment services like Netflix, they won't let you access their services unless you're coming from an area in which you have authority to access their services. So it's an interesting um, ability, and I really like that ability to use on there, but it's also something that you need to pay attention to and make sure that you, uh, you get it right and, and you're careful about uh, how it works. And then on the flip side, there are some concerns that I think you need to think about. So we talked about like how long somebody's been in business, what their actual policies are on logging, you know, the normal sorts of due diligence. There are actually some great resources out there comparing lots of VPNs and you can kind of look through charts and see which things are the most important to you. The other thing is because it's sort of jumping in the way of your normal internet activity, there is a concern it could slow down the speeds that you are able to access things. It's kind of interesting. There are a couple of, of VPNs that in tests have actually kind of improved speeds, which is kind of a, a hard thing to get my head around. But uh, so some of those things that you, you might want to look at. So it's possible you might start with the VPN, see how you like it. And then you might say, you know, it just seems like it slows things down. And then you might look to another service. I think, Tom, we talked a little bit. I, I think you just got to pay for this stuff. I, I think getting a free VPN service um, just seems crazy these days. And I don't think that it's typically going to be that much. I, 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 didn't, I don't know if I saw anything that was more than $10 a month or $100 a, a year when I was doing research. I don't, I don't know if you found something similar. No, I agree. I agree. And I think that paying for it, when you're talking about paying 60 to 100 bucks a year, somewhere in there for this level of security, I think that to me is a no-brainer. I think that the risks to using a free service really are outweighed by the benefits you get by uh, relying on, on a, uh, a company that's going to back up uh, the money you pay for it with, I hope, good quality service. Now, there are a couple of misconceptions about VPNs, and you mentioned one of them, which is about the speed. I've noticed a speed difference on my VPN, um, especially with my home computer. I don't notice it so much on mobile devices, but uh, I will notice that browsing, sometimes I'm not 
not able to access sites either at all or as fast as I thought I could, um, which is a, a problem. I'm not, uh, I mean, it, it doesn't happen very often, but it does happen, and that's something I need to think about. The other misconception is, is that VPNs do not protect you from ad tracking. Don't think that those are going to, they're going to block all the ads. It's going to block your ISP from serving ads to you, but it's not going to block all the millions of other trackers that are out there on the internet who are watching your every move and uh, and serving you up ads as a result. So don't get upset if your VPN doesn't block ads. And then I think the other misconception is that, you know, Dennis mentions a bunch of sites that rates VPNs. And I think that it's good to have those sites because it helps you compare and contrast the differences. But let's face it, VPNs aren't regulated. There's no security audits. They can say anything they want to about their security. So it's hard to say what really is the best VPN. You're going to need to do your homework and your due diligence and, and follow some of the rules that we've talked about here and really be careful about this because you know they have a lot of power to say things to you that you don't necessarily have a way of verifying yourself unless you are a security expert and can make those tests yourself. And I think the other thing I would say is you need to kind of think of VPNs as one part of the mix. So we've we've talked on other podcasts about security and public Wi-Fi and other things you can do to protect yourself. I just think it's one – these days it seems like – one more layer or one more part, one more piece to the puzzle of security and privacy. And you can start to layer the different things. And, you know, so it's not be thoughtful about how you use things, but also have these things in place to protect you and your privacy. Because as Tom says, nobody else is looking out for your, your privacy uh, and nobody will look out as much for your privacy as you will. So I think it's once you go down the VPN route and I'll, I'll talk about the homework I did and the due diligence I did, is that what I thought was important is I, I wanted to get a VPN service that would uh, I was sure would allow me to VPN all of my devices, so all my computers and my iPad and iPhone and all of that. And so that was important to me because I'm kind of like, why well, put the VPN on one thing if I'm going down that road, I want to work on everything. So if you found a VPN that maybe charged you more or only had a limited number of devices, that would be a, a negative. So I did a lot of research and just decided to say, if I'm a new buyer of VPN service, where would I come out with? And so based on a lot of reviews and some, some good pricing and good performance and the fact that it allowed sufficient number of devices, I decided that I would uh, pick Nord NORD VPN. And there's currently a deal where if you buy two years of it, it's gets down to about like $4 a month, something like that. And if you bought like one month, it'd be like about $10 a month, sort of normal price. So kind of an interesting sale going on now while it's a hot topic. But uh, so that's one that for all of the factors I thought were important is where I landed. Tom, I know that you've used another service for a while. Do you want to talk about that? Well, yeah, and you know, I've been using I've been using mine for three or four years now, and I cannot, for the life of me, remember what made me decide to go with it. Although, if I had to guess, it has to do the fact one, it gets good reviews from the expert sites who talk about VPNs. Um, it's generally thought as one of the faster VPNs out there. It does all the things that I mentioned before. It's got a no log policy. It encrypts my data. It's been around since two thousand nine. So there, you know, in terms of VPN companies, it's been out there for a pretty decent time. I 
I think most importantly, it's simple to use. Like you mentioned, Dennis, it's available on my iPad and my Android phone as well. I think a VPN shouldn't be complicated. And the, the tool I ultimately went with is called ExpressVPN. They're probably at the top end of your range. I just I just paid for a year for $99. Uh, I renewed my, my subscription, but I've been using them for two or three years. Been very happy with them and like the service that they provide. So, Tom, do you think VPNs, especially the individual VPN service, is a must-have these days or a nice-to-have? I think that I would argue that it is a must-have in certain circumstances. I think you need a VPN. Let's just say it's a must-have when you're on free public Wi-Fi. I think that whenever you are um, at a coffee shop, whenever you are in the hotel room using the free their free Wi-Fi, I think being on a VPN is a must-have for security purposes. Um, I think that whether you use it every time, all the time, really depends on your approach to privacy and what you care about them having or what you care about them using and what you're doing out on the internet and what kind of information your ISP might have access to. You know, if it's really that that important to you, then it is a must-have. Um, but you may fall in a different place along that whole spectrum. What about you? Yeah, I guess I'm, you know, maybe because I'm reading all the articles these days, I'm, I'm sort of putting into the must-have category. And again, it's just part, another layer of security and it's just part of the the whole privacy portfolio. That's why I think so. I, I suggest people take a look, go out there, see what makes sense for you. Realize that probably if you're working from home, you're already using a VPN. So it's just kind of moving over to the personal side as well. So lots of inf interesting information out there and, as always, disinformation as well. But it seems like some pretty good resources and just you know doing your own homework and taking a look at this. I think it's something to go ahead and put on your tech uh, agenda for this year. And before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsor. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. We're excited to have another audio audience question for this episode. Our listeners and our producers really like this segment. I personally love audio questions because I don't have to come up with the topic for this segment. <laughs> I really like the next question from a judge about courtroom technology. This question could have been asked many times for many years. And so it's it's fascinating to me how solo lawyers really are when it comes to adopting technology. Here's the question. Hi, Tom and Dennis. My name is Joe Adams, and I'm a judge from Pennsylvania. In our courtrooms, we have state-of-the-art technology. In fact, we just spend a lot of money on redoing all of our courtrooms. The unfortunate part is that we can't get any attorneys to use it. Any suggestions on how to get attorneys more comfortable in using technology in the courtroom? Tom, you get to answer first. 
And so, Dennis, I think you're right. This is a question that legal technology people have struggled with for years. First, it's getting new technologies in place, which is a big struggle. But even in places like Judge Adams' courtroom, where they're keeping up with the times, apparently, they're providing great technology, lawyers still aren't using it, which really ties back, in my opinion, to the behavior change management that we talked about back in episode 180. Now, the judge didn't mention what they're currently doing now to encourage adoption. So I have two recommendations. Hopefully, he's not tried both of these and failed at them. But I think that here here are the two approaches that I would take. The first one really is to take a good change management approach and increase awareness. Provide materials that here's all the technology that's available for your use in the courtroom. We're doing this as a service. Here's what you can use when you come into the courtroom. Not only talk about the technology, but but how you can use it. You know, providing a, a guide to courtroom technology would be a great reference to hand out to every lawyer that comes into the courtroom. Um, but I would go farther than that. I would bring in technologists or, or hire an outside expert to conduct free training for lawyers, maybe a couple times a year. It can't just be one training because you're constantly having new lawyers come through that court. So maybe quarterly or twice a year or whatever, have a training session that's open to anybody who wants to come down. You demonstrate the features. You show the use cases of what lawyers might actually do, and you give them some hands-on experience to work with it. Um, The second one is more drastic, and it can have some negative blowback, but I think it's pretty powerful. And Judge Adams, I think it's an option that you can invoke Pennsylvania Rule of Professional Conduct 1.1, which adopted the ABA's requirement of technological competence for the Pennsylvania lawyers. And if you're everybody else who's listening, if you're in a state that's adopted it, I think you have the option to do that too. I think it's perfectly perfectly reasonable, I think, that the court issues rules that provides for some level of expectation on the use of technology in the courtroom. It, you know, it can suggest a minimum expectation for what lawyers are going to do. It could require lawyers who are planning to use technology to take the training or orientation classes to make sure they're going to do it right. Now, of course, this does have the potential for some blowback and some significant outrage from the lawyers. I remember back when e-filing was mandated by the federal courts here in Dallas, a a man actually filed suit against the federal courts stating that he wasn't proficient in technology and therefore it was discriminating against him and he should not be required to use it. But, you know, there's now a rule that requires some level of technical competence. So why not find some way to take advantage of that rule and require lawyers to step up and use technology in court? I think it's worth a shot. Dennis, what about you? I like the rules, you know, like pulling the rules into place because lawyers will react to rules. Like e-filing, oh, my God, people were so – lawyers so concerned about it. Now it's a matter of course. I sort of remember back in the really early days when lawyers who wanted to use technology, the courts struggle with it because of the physical plant, if you will, because there often there weren't enough outlets or other things where you could bring technology into courtrooms. Now as courtrooms have improved, they've really made an effort on, on technology. And so I think it's unfortunate that if you're in a court that's very modern that has all this technology and then you don't have lawyers using it, I'm sure it's it's terribly frustrating. And it's probably frustrating to clients who are losing cases that maybe they could have won if their lawyers would have done a good job with courtroom technology. So I, I think you're right, Tom, on the training thing. I think there's an education component. And maybe it's a show and tell. Maybe it's a reception. Maybe it's, you know, it's demonstrations where people can see people who are really good with it, what it is. People can talk about how it's done. I was also thinking of something that was in the rules sort of approach, which is 
you know, give people incentives or penalties and say, you know, if, if you're going to try a case using modern technology, look, you get to, you know, you jump up on the docket and, you know, give people some incentives out there to use this stuff. But I think people, lawyers especially, need to see uh, what other people are doing. As we know, kind of the biggest motivation for lawyers making change is seeing other lawyers doing it and other lawyers using it to kick their butts in the courtroom is great motivation. Now it's time for our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. So I think I'm going to try for my parting shots in the next couple of episodes to do like Cool Tools does and actually talk about things that I use and recommend on a regular basis. And so the one that I'm going to recommend is the UE Boom line of speakers. Um, and I have, I'm hooked on these speakers because they, for Bluetooth, um, they're very portable, they're very useful, they have really good sound for the size that they have, and they come in all sorts of different sizes. And uh, literally every time a new one comes out, I have to buy it and try it. So I, I have the Boom 2, the UE Boom 2, which is a cylinder that provides really great, uh, right now I'm using it as a Bluetooth speaker for my desktop computer, and I, I may buy more you know formal speakers for it, but right now it's providing really great sound for my desktop. Um, I bought the UE Roll 2 to put in the shower. These are all waterproof, by the way, and it's a kind of a disc, flat disc size speaker. Not the not as good a sound as the Boom 2, but in the shower, it's awesome. And then they just debuted this new thing called the Wonder Boom that I've ordered, and it's a little tiny speaker. It's something that can fit in your bag, that can you can take with you. Um, the the quality is really great. The company's great. These are well-made speakers. I definitely recommend UE Boom speakers. I'm starting to get a little worried about your hearing. Uh, <laughs> so to follow the theme of, of this episode, I'm going to recommend the Electronic Frontier Foundation's Deep Links blog. So that's Deep Links, all one word. And I especially liked recently well, their coverage of a lot of the technology, privacy, other issues is great and always has been. But I liked an article by Amul Kalia. It's called Here's How to Protect Your Privacy from Your Internet Service Provider. That's basically what we want to know. And I think it does a really nice job of kind of laying out the issues that we talked about in connection with VPNs and in a really friendly and straightforward way. And so I think if you want to learn a little bit more about protecting your privacy and what your ISPs can do and what they might do with logging data and other data about uh, what you do on the Internet, this is a great place to start. So EFF Deep Links blog. And that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site where you can find archives of all of our previous podcasts. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com or send us a tweet I'm at Tom Mile, and Dennis is at Dennis Kennedy. Also, if you like the audio questions, please keep them coming. You can submit those on the Legal Talk Network site. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. Help us out by telling a couple of your friends and colleagues about this podcast. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, the Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network. <laughs>